Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia, a fat person and professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears. We will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against diet culture, anti-fatness, ableism, racism, etc. If you'd like to support the Fat Joy podcast and get bonus content as a thank you, please check us out at patreon.com slash fatjoy. I am so glad you're here with us. Enjoy. Hello, lovelies. Welcome back to the Fat Joy Podcast. I'm your host, Sophia Apostle, and I'm joined today by Rebecca Alexander. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Sophia. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. I've been following what you've been doing, and I won't spoil it. I'll let you tell everyone what you've been doing, but I've been following what you've been doing for a while, and I'm so excited for what you are going to bring into the world for fat people, and as you just said, fat people and those who love them. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Rebecca? Excellent. Well, my name is Rebecca Alexander. I live in uh, Vernonia, Oregon, which is about an hour outside of Portland toward the coast. Um, it's beautiful. Um, and it has been just a wonderful place for me to ride out the pandemic, honestly. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm here for fat people and fat people who love us. And primarily, um, I'm doing that work by creating an app called Algo, which is Yelp for fat people. So we review public spaces on whether or not, you know, tables and booths move, chairs have arms, like how wide aisles are, you know, all sorts of um, criteria that are relevant to people that live in large bodies. And so um, I kind of had this experience personally in one of the last jobs that I had where I was in a sales role and I constantly found myself needing to meet new people and be super impressive, you know, in spaces that I'd never been before. And I just noticed that my anxiety prior to those meetings was so high. I found myself scrolling through pictures of ravioli online, looking for pictures of chairs, you know, it's just like, this is a terrible experience. I'm not getting what I need. I found myself arriving 20 minutes early sometimes just to avoid having to ask somebody to move from a booth to a table, you know? And um, that was not something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And um, I ended up taking a break from that job and I read a couple of books. Uh, We're Never Meeting in Real Life by Samantha Irby and Hunger by Roxane Gay, both uh, fat women. And in both of these books, they described a similar experience of like scouring the internet, you know, trying to find information to ease their anxiety before they go on a first date, before they go to like, you know, speak in public. And, um, you know, Roxane Gay said, the bigger you are, the smaller your world becomes. And I really hadn't realized that I wasn't the only person who felt that way until I read those books. And... So when I realized that I wasn't alone, I wasn't the only one, you know, scouring the internet for pictures of chairs, I decided to find out how not alone I was. Um, And that's really when I got connected to the fat community. I had grown up in a big family. Um, My, I was raised around fatness and we talked about it, not in necessarily positive ways, but not always in disparaging ways either. And yet, most of my non-family relations <clears throat> were thin. And so I didn't know how to talk about my body um, outside of my family. And I didn't want to talk about it in my family because that was not a <laughs> positive experience. So um, I just kind of, I, I had never really interacted with the fat community until we decided to start Algo. And this is a really long introduction. So it's so good. Uh, it's I so good. That your editor <laughs> prepared to splice and dice. No, we're keeping it all. It's perfect. Okay. <laughs> Great. Um, well, we, you know, so 
that's when I got connected to like groups online and I put out this survey and I was like, okay, tell me about like when you go new places, like, how do you feel? And it was really interesting um, because we had, you know, I tried to not, um, you know, I tried to engineer confirmation bias out of this study as much as I could, right? And so one of the ways that we did that is we just asked people at the outset, you know, what their size was. And then we asked everybody the same questions and we compared data based on size, right? So um, it was really interesting when we asked that question, you know, tell me about like what you feel when you go somewhere new. Like we had all these kind of long form narrative responses, but then we also asked people to rate um, how anxious they feel, how excited they feel, you know, and all of these other emotions. And it was fascinating. The experience for people that wear plus sizes, anxiety through the roof, <laughs> excitement in the toilet. And the exact opposite was pretty much true for most of the straight size respondents. There were some people who also experienced anxiety going out, but the vast majority, like it was like a flip. And I was like, okay, so I am not alone. This is something that a lot of people experience when they live in larger bodies. So we need to fix this. And that's when um, I started thinking about how. And um, it felt like, um, <clears throat> felt like, frankly, the most important thing was to get fat people talking about this because we don't talk about it. We, and like as a society, you know, I think we have, um, we've all agreed that people don't bring up these conversations then people don't bring up these conversations. We've agreed that the most polite thing to do somehow is to not talk about difference in body size and how it impacts all of us. And as we know, <laughs> with issues of equity and oppression, not talking about them is not the best thing to do, right? Ignoring them, pretending that difference doesn't exist, not the best thing to do. That's how you end up hosting a dinner party with your plus size friends who are literally, you know, risking nerve damage sitting in uncomfortable chairs at your dining room table because you couldn't ask them if they wanted a better chair or needed a better chair because you were too afraid that it would be embarrassing to them or to you or what. And yet the like reality is all of those feelings are valid, but that person's thighs are still getting pinched, you know, for the entire like duration of your dinner. So like, we need to figure out a way to like talk about these things. And um, there, there are a couple of reasons why that's really important. One of course is, you know, to source this information and let people know how they can do better. Right. <clears throat> or where they can go that is doing right. <clears throat> but it's also about, helping people understand that that people have buying power in a way that people don't completely respect yet. Like they don't understand us as a consumer block. And so that was really interesting as I was thinking about all this. I was just like, we are having such a wildly different experience. And yet no one is asking us specifically how they could make their space better for us so that like we would be more interested in spending our money with them. And, you know, this like was really interesting. I started this way of thinking around restaurants, right? Which thin margins in this industry, the pandemic has not made it any easier to operate a successful restaurant. And what I will say is like, I've not met a single restaurateur who you know, it's like, I don't want fat people here. You know, they really, I've never met anybody who said that to me. I'm sure they exist. But most people are like, tell me how, you know, they'll be more comfortable because I'm looking for ways to get people in the door and spend money and time in my establishment. And so when we flip the conversation that way and, you know, we amass kind of a voice um, and a market, I think we can enter into the conversations about change with a lot more power and with less like, you know, 
uh, we're not looking for charity, right? <laughs> like we're looking for you to serve us better. We're your customer and we're telling you that you're not doing a good job. So like, you know, do better and we'll spend more money with you. And I'm really interested in approaching these conversations that way. And this is not an intro response. Yeah, no, it's so good. We just dove right in. <laughs> I love it, Rebecca. I love it. That's such a great, I love that you just took us right in because it is such a universal experience for plus size people. I mean, I've heard this with like my clients. I mean, I've experienced this myself. I'll just speak for myself and know that I'm speaking for like all the people I talk to as well. And that I'm sure that you're really familiar with. Um, you go on a date, you're arranging to meet someone at a new place. Talk about regular anxiety, add way more because you don't know if the place that this person has chosen is actually going to fit your body you go to a doctor's waiting room. Will there be a chair that you can sit in? No, you know, you don't know. You go to, you want to go to a concert or a lecture. Like I really wanted to go see Elizabeth Gilbert, who I love coming to Toronto, which is where I live. And it was at a theater that I'm not familiar with. And that one, again, I scoured the pictures, looked at it. It looked like it was a bit older, an older building with older, very like those wooden uh, solid arms on either side, which there's, there's no room. I, and I recently I went and saw, um, a comedian at another older theater and I had to like sit on, fortunately we, there was like room and we were in, in on the higher level. I had to sit perch like on the arms because I could not fit my body in it. Um, so I wanted to go see Elizabeth Gilbert. I wrote to the organizers. I wrote to the theater. No one responded to me. So lost ticket sales right there. And disappointing and frustrating someone I want to see. Restaurants, another huge thing, like you've mentioned. I And again, I'll share a personal experience. Just two weeks ago, went to the keg, which is, you know, like a classic, I think kegs all over the States too, right? Am I right? I have never heard of it, but sounds like a brew pub. Oh yeah, it's like a steakhouse. It's a it's like a nicer steakhouse. Hmm, I don't know if it's in the states now. It's all over Canada. And uh, went with another couple, and I called ahead, and I was like, "Hey, I, I used the line from one of my previous guests of, hey, I really want to make sure my body is comfortable. I'd love a booth, but the table needs to be able to move, or it can be a table with chairs but no arms." Anyway, I get there. They had done nothing. I, you know, and so now the other couple has arrived who I don't know really well. And here I am, the fat woman having to like advocate for and like I'm the people are taking me to different tables to see, well, this one, this one. And, and the 19 year old host is completely out of their useless. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know yeah. what to do. Like, I know. It's brutal. So we need, so something where we can like look and how great for a restaurant, like for example, the K window finding something was okay, but where I could go in and leave a little review, like, Hey, you need to train your front of house staff. And if I make a request like that, it needs to be respected. Like this is not a big deal. I called a week in advance, you know? So, so exciting. So exciting. And so I'm really curious, Rebecca, because this is a huge thing that you're undertaking. And I definitely want to talk about that. And I imagine that the motivation comes from, there has to be, my assumption is, there has to be a lot of like powerful, fiery motivation inside of you to persist with the tenacity that would be required to create what you're trying to create. So my question is, where is that coming from? Like, what's your relationship to the word fat? What has your journey been with fatness? And how is all that just firing you up to do this? Because I know a little bit about what it takes to create an app. Like, it's a big deal <laughs> what you're doing. So start us off at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, so I will say I was not out as fat, um, like until I started all go, honestly, it's really interesting. I, and how long ago was that? Like how, how many years is that, that was about five years ago. So, yeah. Um, and so it's relatively new to me. Um, I used to be the person on an airplane who would like get on and like cross my arms in front of my chest and squeeze my knees together and, and like not move. <laughs> right. Right. That that was somehow going to make me smaller and, you know, that was the way I was going to be like a good 
you know, fat person and not, you know, inconvenience my seatmate, I took responsibility, you know? And so I think um, in claiming like fatness and starting to use that word to describe myself and like it's completely just like de-voldemorting it. Like, I don't know however else there's another word for that, but I can't word remember. that right? shall not be named. Yeah, you just take the piss out of it, you know? And it's just like, no, this is not something that I'm going to, like, say quietly anymore, you know? And um, specifically, like, just starting to put the onus on the people making these decisions and recognize that they are decisions. And I think when I recognize that they're decisions, it starts to help people under other people understand that they are decisions. You know, like, I don't think people think about these things as decisions. Like I recently had a conversation with um, a a chapter president of a um, facility managers association. So all of her chapter members are facility managers and corporate office buildings and stadiums and things like that. Right. Exactly. The people I want to talk to. I was going to say, I mean, if you want to start to change things, those are the people you do it with. Wow. And my first question to her was, all right, so Glow, you are the person I now know. I've been looking for this person for a while. You are the person that can help me figure out how to get toilet paper dispensers put in the right place. Oh my gosh. If you could, okay, first of all, for those of people who are not that, who are listening, can you explain the problem with toilet roll dispensers? Okay, all right. Because it is so problematic. So, all right. I use accessible stalls often because I'm just so much more comfortable in them and... Yeah, it just is the way it is. Um, so I use them and I've noticed that this is particularly bad in like small stalls, but it's also bad in accessible stalls. And so essentially it's evident that sometimes when the person decided where to put the toilet with paper roll holder on the wall, that they'd never sat on the toilet. They put it either like level to the leg. So, you know, it's like right in the way and you can't kind of fully open your, you know, legs on the toilet. Or my favorite is when they put it under like the handlebar so that you have to like drop down and like erect the toilet paper out of the bottom of it. And it's like, did you think about that for a second? You know, this is a foot from the ground. Like, who is, you know, who's trying to get a foot from the ground in a public bathroom? Nobody I know. Yeah. So anyway, it, it, if you can get on them and reach the toilet paper, that's a miracle. But like, it, they just seem, it just seems like, and as a woman, it's like one of those things where I'm like, a dude put this up, you know? Like, you know, somebody that just doesn't sit down in bathrooms very often. Mm-hmm. Or someone who has never had to possibly put a tampon in or remove a tampon. Like there are bathroom functions that people with uteruses have to do and they need a little bit of space, people. We need to be able to spread our legs a little bit. Sometimes you need to squat if it's gross and you're not going to like, if you can, like there's so many movements that are not accounted for and that especially the toilet paper rolls. Especially when they're the big ones, like the big industrial ones. And it's like basically touching the toilet bowl. And you're like, how am I, do I sit on top of this? Like, you just think, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. Okay. So you had this person on the phone. (laughs) I met them face to face and I just got real weird with them real quick. Um, You know, it was great. She was on board. She was like, yes, I am the person you talked to. And it was fantastic. Um, But they, you know, the thing about these conversations is it helps me realize these are decisions, you know, and when I point them out to the people making these decisions as decisions, like I can just watch like their kind of, you know, capacity to understand just explode. And it's really amazing because this stuff is not very hard. You know, like if you have basic empathy skills as a human, like when you're prompted you know, to think about this experience, like you can, like with basic empathy skills, put yourself into the shoes of a larger body person and make better decisions as though like, you know, you were trying to make that person more comfortable. And I think most people 
are really on board to do that. And so just like helping people understand, like you just think about us, you know, and think about us, like you will, everybody will be more comfortable. It's a win-win, right? Um, and so that's been... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say to add to that, considering two thirds of the population is plus size, whoever you're speaking with, like they probably, I imagine they know someone who is also fat or plus size. So they do. And they themselves, you know, are occasionally plus size or have been in their life. And are, I like the number, like it is not, is it is not a unique experience. Like this is a market that is too big to be called a niche. <laughs> you know, like, it is it does not, it's not unique, like niche concerns that we're talking about. And we're just talking about them for the first time. And so that's why it feels like, you know, like an awakening. Um, but yeah, so all that to say, my relationship to the word fat has been, um, you know, really empowering. And it's just been like, it's just been really great to be able to use that word and not, um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of direct communication. So, um, I appreciate any time we can eliminate euphemisms and, um, yeah, so I'm here just, we're, we're fat people. We live in large bodies, you know, we're plus size, like I'm, I'm good with all those terms. Um, and I just, you know, um, I'm so grateful to be having these conversations. Yeah. Rebecca, has there have there been impacts or ripple effects in your personal life with embracing the word fat and even with the work that you do now? I know the fact that I run a podcast about fatness has, you know, made some people in my life uncomfortable. So I'm just so curious, like for you, what's been the impact of all this in your your own life? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um I think when I first started to like um, really let myself feel this, I remembered all of the times when I had been miserable, like miserably uncomfortable prior in my life. Like I have lots of thin friends and people who just didn't understand and I didn't know how to talk to them and they didn't know anything was wrong. And, you know, so I had to do, I had to grieve some of that, you know, and I had to just like let go of the latent resentment that, you know, I wish I, you know, didn't have, but it was really helpful to acknowledge that it's there. You know, I'm, I'm pissed that that roommate never like thought to, you know, when they brought home those fucking chairs, like, you know, never thought to get one that worked for me right? You know? Um, and I'm pissed about the friend who like doesn't have any kind of chairs in their backyard that fits me, you know? Like, yeah. And it, it's, it's irritating. And I've not allowed myself to be irritated by it because I've felt like it's my fault. That's it right there. I have felt that it's my fault. Therefore, we're not going to talk about it because it's a failing with me. Hence the silence, the taboo, the shame. We all are just, oh. That's right there. That's actually where I now start to accept responsibility is in the silence, you know? That's my responsibility. Like I need to let other people know my needs, especially when they've been like told me that they're interested in my needs, you know? And these are all people who care about me and who I've just like not been able to talk to because of my own childhood shit. But we're working on it, you know? And that's the thing. It does, it takes us doing our own work in order to be able to talk about it. And I can still be squirmy. Like I still have squirmy conversations about this and and I've done a ton of work on it and I'm very comfortable talking about fatness, but there are still situations where I'm just like, oh, squirmy. I don't know. I don't want to. And But you're right. The silence is something that we can do something about. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that's probably the biggest impact on my day-to-day life. I also, you know, I have so much less pressure about my body than I used to. Like I, I have really arrived at a place where I know what I feel now again. Like I had really disassociated, I think with my body. Um, 
and I'm much more in tune with it. And I don't think that that's, um, you know, uh, unrelated to talking about it as much as I have been these last few years. Um, but it's great. Like I, now I can tell you like how I feel when, you know, I eat something or I can tell you how I feel when I move, you know, and I know, um, it's great. I have a vocabulary and I'm, I have an awareness and, um, it's really helped me, um, just accept and, it's so freeing. And like, I have always said, it's really interesting. Um, I was a kid who, um, was always really irritated by all of the shit that women were expected to do. I have a twin brother. And so I had this like built in, like gendered comparison for my upbringing, um, which I've got a book in there someday. I'm not sure exactly what, but, (laughs) um, it's uh it was really interesting to me all of the time i was expected to spend on grooming and you know like getting ready and all this stuff and i i've lived in my head for a long time and so i was just really like put off by that i was like i don't want to spend my time putting on makeup i don't want to spend my time you know like shaving my legs like all these things they just weren't logical to me like i want to spend my time and i want all women everywhere to be spending our time not worrying about what we look like but like making art and making businesses and you know like i, I want all that energy to go to other things and i remember thinking about that when i was probably like 10 like 10 11 years old and um I'm having this epiphany now, but I think what happened for me is in order to achieve that, where I didn't spend time thinking about those things, I just didn't spend time thinking about my body at all. Um, I just completely shut it off. And so I've reached much more balance now. You know, I can think about it while not letting it prevent me from doing things that I want to be doing, not spending too much time and energy. You know, um, I, I spend enough then it's good. And it sounds like there's like a return to choice rather than the defaults that we've been given, right? Like I just, I think about that all the time. And I think I've said before on the podcast, or at least certainly in conversations with people where I'm like, if I had never started dieting, if I had never, if I'd actually gotten help for my binge eating disorder, if I had never like been so preoccupied with how I was like, quote unquote, supposed to be, or how I should look, who could I have been? Like the amount of energy and brain space and brain power for decades decades multiply that by 30 million people you know like my god i know i know but it also makes sense if i'm gonna go real tinfoil hat but it's true it also makes sense why you know the the people who create systemic oppressions white hetero white white supremacist people who run capitalism why they don't want that because we're fucking powerful and this is part for me this is always like the motivator is the revolutionary nature of joy and pleasure and having voice oh you can't you can't stop that it's so good so yeah anything that moves us towards that i am here for and so and your app is one of those things so that we will so So as I understand it and tell me if you're like the Yelp for fat people, that means I can go on, I can look up venues, restaurants, all sorts of, is it, is it mostly physical spaces to see how it works for my body basically? Yeah, primarily that's your, and just so you know, like that's what we're starting with. We want to get that experience right because we know that like we're spending a lot of money on experiences we're spending, you know, a ton of time trying to find healthcare providers that work for us, like, you know, all of the things. So this is important, but also as a market, like, and as a community, it's becoming more and more clear that we need a space that's like for us and by us, you know? And so um, I'm really excited to see where we're headed. We have a lot of amazing support at Algo in the technology realm. So uh, it's complicated. So 
Um, I'll, I'll go into that a little bit because I, I talk about this enough, I don't think. Um, so we uh, raised money to build our beta on Kickstarter, which was awesome. Um, yeah, so in 19 days, almost 1,200 people donated $55,000 to build the first version of Algo, which was great. Amazing. And, yeah, it was fantastic. And so we, you know, this is a free app and people wanted it that much. So we built it. We um, ran a beta in 2019 in the city of Portland where we learned a lot. So we learned like, what are the questions you need to add a doctor's office versus at a cafe? You know, what is the amount that's going to be too much to ask? like and people are going to drop off and not leave their review at all like you know there are all these like little nuances in creating technology like this that we needed to test and so that's what we did during the beta period can i ask you're saying we who's who's the we rebecca so it's changed a little bit um through the years but you know we've had a community of volunteers who's been on this project kind of handing you know like uh, taking on responsibilities like you know for a time and then you know people move on or um we've the these last few years and this is what i'll um kind of get into a second we've had a technology partner that's been really instrumental to us so um we started working on the national version of the app with this technology partner at the beginning of 2020 oh yes the whole point of our app was to help people go out more with less anxiety I didn't know what the fuck to do. Like, I really, it just like, this thing came, this pandemic, and I was like, we just finished a beta. We're trying, like, what, what did we do? Like, what's going on? And it was so just personally, <laughs> like, upsetting. And I ended up, I just had to walk away. I just had to put a pin in it and, go because I was freaking out. I was like, I, you know, I had already um, kind of taken a couple of years out of the like economy, <laughs> right? To like build this thing, like $55,000 from Kickstarter does not like support a life, you know, like this, these things are, I'm, I was hustling and freelancing this entire time, just kind of trying to make stuff work. And um, so we get this technology partner the pandemic comes out and I just, I don't know what to do. So we take a break. We take a beat. I actually went and, um, in, I lived at the time in Portland, Oregon. And, um, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, all of this food was rotting in fields. And like anybody who knows anything about Portland, we have a huge food cu culture and we have a lot of restaurants in, um, you know, the city who buy from local farms, um, you know, immediately around us. And so there were all these contracts where restaurants shut down overnight. The farmers didn't know where they were going to send their groceries. Like it was a mess. Um, and so I had um, a friend who I was in an accelerator with. She was running her startup and I was running Algo. And um, she, uh, she was running an online farmer's market. And um, so literally like as i was like the world is shutting down my business is like gonna go dormant for a minute yours is gonna explode so <laughs> i spent the first five months of the pandemic helping get food from these fields into people's homes in downtown portland so we um it was really it was great i'm always gonna remember that that's what i did you know at the beginning of the pandemic um and that was a nice distraction um, uh, and gave me a minute to kind of think. And, um, <clears throat> then, uh, afterward we started, you know, working on the app again and we've now started working on it three times and we've been hit, we were hit with the, you know, Omicron variants and the Delta variants and that delayed us. And now the only thing that's delaying us is ourselves at this point, we're just like, not quite ready to release it, but the world is open enough, you know, that we feel like there are safe ways to navigate it, you know, for folks. So like we can, you know, we want to provide this service again. So we're almost there. Um, and I'm thrilled that we made it through. And, you know, to your point, like the tenacity and the perseverance required, like, I don't know that I would start Algo today, you know, if I hadn't started it five years ago, like 
I don't know that I have the energy to start it today. Like that's a really, and managing my energy throughout this project has been like one of the most important things that I've learned how to do. I used to work at, I've actually worked at a few startups and I started a startup kind of, we got to uh, the incubator phase and then we did some pitching and couldn't, couldn't have it take it, couldn't take off because, and our, and so that one was cl- was basically plus size clothing before this big boom. So there were no investors interested in fat clothing. Anyway, it was, it was, it was, it's very interesting kind of having worked in startups, having, having played in that space myself with my own, I, well, it was actually really my partner's idea. And I was like, oh, of course I'll help. The role that unconscious bias can play. There's a lot around, well, who, who wants that? Is that really going to bring in money? Because of course, when you're pitching and trying to get investors, it's all about what's going to be the return on investment for them. Have you hit up against anything like that? Prior to the pandemic, during while we were running the beta, that's a lot of what I was doing too, was trying to fundraise, right? Because the reason we built the Kickstarter um, was because we got an offer for investment where it was a bait and switch. <laughs> where, oh, no. Yeah, we got an offer for investment um, and we're given a big paper check on stage at this um, pitch competition. And then uh, when we got the term sheet, they were wildly different. Um, the terms were wildly different than we discussed and we had to walk away from the deal and that really sucked. Um, but it forced us to go to our community to fund it, um, which was actually really good. You know, like I think that was... Well, stays in your control. It stays in our control. And it also like got 1,200 other people invested literally in what we were doing, you know? And so it also, it it keeps it in our control you know, too, which is really nice. Um, so I have gotten, um, now I've, I've, um, I went through the process of like trying to raise, um, kind of a typical seed round. Um, and in that I met, you know, probably a hundred, 150 different investors had, you know, dozens of meetings, sent pitch decks to quite a number of people. Um, and, I've ended up working with four angel investors who have come in and given some um, small amounts of money to invest in particular things that we were working on um, and just kind of get us through um, some of the like difficult times where we need, you know, capital. Um, But mostly this has been, you know, a bootstrapped effort. And um, I, experimenting around the revenue model was one of the things that we did during the beta. Um, and it was really interesting because that was what um, investors kept coming back to us w- with was, you know, what is the revenue model here? Yeah. Did they want it to be subscription? It was really like, yes, some of them, but like it was this really bad. Um, this is so in the weeds, but it was this bad mix of, like startups or, or investors who invest in s- certain kinds of startups wanted to turn Algo into that kind of startup, right? So, <laughs> and then like other investors who, you know, really matched the vision that we had as like a community platform, um, didn't really get it. Didn't see it as like big enough. Didn't see our team as like being able to execute on it, you know, and maybe they're right. I don't know. I'm really glad though that we we haven't gone that route though because one of the things that that route uh, necessitates is you know spending millions and millions of dollars on Facebook ads and Instagram ads and who feels good about that at the end of the day? You know, like just funneling like that whole like startup advertising ecosystem thing is so fascinating, right? So here are all of these venture funds that are shareholders in these social media companies writing checks to startups who have done all of the work to like build the software or design the product, get all of that going. And literally like once we've done all the work to get like what they're looking for, which is product market fit, then they will write us a check so that we can write checks to the companies they own 
to advertise our products to them. And I'm just like, <laughs> uh -huh. get the fuck out of here. Like, I just can't anymore. I just can't. So, um, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Yeah. That's, a, that's a little Ponzi schemey. <laughs> it's a little cynical too. I mean, we're not going to lie. Um, but it just like, once you start getting into it, I, I just look around and like that that's what's happening here and I don't want to participate. So, um, we've been working a lot at like figuring out how we're going to do this. And we are going to, when we launch the national version of the app, there will be an opportunity for you to sign up to become a sponsor of the app. Um, as part of the registration process. And at this point, we don't have a different experience in mind for sponsors versus non-sponsors, but um, we'll, we're absolutely considering that. And, you know, one of the really easy ways to do that will be to, um, you know, if when we add ads to the platform, you know, offer an ad for experience, like, you know, those kinds of basic things that a lot of other people have tried because the truth is, and consumers know this, like when you don't pay for technology, it's shitty technology for you. And when you pay for it, the designers of that technology can design for you instead of the advertiser. So it's one or the other. Um, so we're 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 trying to find a you know a nice middle ground. Um, one of the things that I do see as very beneficial um, about Algo in the future is connecting you know, people who are trying to serve this market to this market, right? And I've heard that from our users too. They're like, please tell me, you know, about a chair that's not going to break after, you know, I sit in it for six months. Like, tell me about things that are designed with my body in mind. And so I think there is a way for us to pursue revenue from our community and also pursue it through kind of traditional advertising models that add value to our community um you know like i'm not interested in talking about things that we already all know about you know um or things that do us harm like i want to be really clear about that like this is not going to be where you can start to see weight loss ads we are not adding a market to prop up the diet industry um but i am very interested in you know like telling people about things that I've come to love, you know, like I, I joke about this all the time, but, um, have you ever heard of Olipop? No. Okay. So Olipop is this like probiotic soda, right. That is like, it's made from like plant fibers and, um, you know, all these things, it's sort of like a kombucha, but it's not a tea based thing. Um, it's delicious. And good for you and you have like a third of your daily fiber in it and i know a lot of people are like trying to get their fiber up you know that's how i found it and i'm like i want to tell all community members about things like olipop you know like i want to tell us about that and i want to tell us about you know like certainly clothing lines that you know expand their sizes but i also just want us to be able to like be a sought after market from cool companies that are making cool stuff. Like, you know, like they should be advertising to us. Olipop should be advertising to plus size people. There's no reason not to. Um, so anyway, it's stuff like that's the future I'm envisioning. Oh, I can see it. I can totally see it. I think that's so neat. It's interesting when you mentioned clothing, because it reminded me about like change rooms, even, you know, like I love. I love going to a torrid change room because it's big and there's a fan. I don't know if I've ever seen a fan in any other change room other than torrid. And it's great because it's just like, it's hot trying on clothes. And I usually go and I have, I, I'm like one of those people that I take 50 things into the change room and I, right. Yeah. So I think that's great. Even I forgot, I didn't even think about change rooms until you mentioned clothing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there are, you know, <laughs> little details in most public spaces that like you can just completely transform an experience for people like having a bench in an art gallery right like just simple things that like make it way more accessible and you know are not difficult to execute on yeah well and it's so true like i last weekend i went to i don't know if you know the the show stranger things i haven't i'm i'm, I'm aware of it i haven't watched it yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it's basically kind of this like 
alternate universe kind of show. So kind of there's monsters and all kinds of things. It was super interesting. My partner, I loved it. And in Toronto, they created, I don't know if it's elsewhere too, but this Stranger Things experience. So an interactive thing where you go, and you're kind of like part of it. It was, it was okay. It wasn't great. Um, I think if, if I was a child, I might find it a little more interesting as an adult. I was like, mm, okay. But what was so where I would have loved all go to just warn people even is that between queuing to get in, then a second queue to get in, and then the actual experience itself, I was we were standing for about two and a half, three hours, and there was no seats anywhere. And, you know, depending on physicality, I recently um, like sprained my knee. So for me, it was like, a knee thing as well. Like my knee was swollen and throbbing by the time we finished. There was no mention anywhere on the website of about accessibility. Like I would have been like zero on that experience for, and and it would just, I was thinking about that so much because I was so annoyed that there was no mention anywhere. There was no place I could look. There was no real number I could call. It was just like, buy your tickets. And, and also too, I think also I'll, I'll own this part is I just kind of assumed <laughs> that my, uh, that I wouldn't be standing for three hours straight. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, maybe I, I probably shouldn't have, but I think in my mind, I just couldn't imagine that for that length of time, there would be not a single, like nary a bench, nary a chair, you know? So. That's the kind of thing I see your app being so helpful for. Right. So can I ask you, Sophia, how do you think that experience of going and standing, um, you know, for hours on end, how do you think it's going to impact the next time something like that comes across your plate? Oh, I'm not going to go. Really? That miserable. Well, yeah. And, and, and here's the thing. I got through it. But I was, I, it's more that I'm fucking outraged by the lack of information on the website around here's what to expect when you arrive. I got emails and emails about parking, but like nothing about like, what if I had been on crutches? What if I had a, I had hurt my back? You know, like, I mean, it's not even just, you know, ability to, it's, it's, it, it's so much more than just fatness. It's just like the ability to be in a space and move through a space. And like, there's just, there's information that should be shared. Like, Hey, heads up. This is a largely standing experience. So if that's a problem for you, give us a call at this number. Like there should be an accessibility person you can talk to, you know? So it does, it impacts. So there, there's a Jurassic Park one and there's an off, also um, uh, the office one. And I'm like, no, no. So there, I mean, I'm just one person, but it sours the whole experience because I feel like I can't trust them as a, as a provider of a service. Yeah, right, right. As opposed to like someone who markets to you with messaging that is clear that like you've been considered. Yeah, that's a wildly different experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or the ability to create custom and experience like if they let's say because there were actually i will say i was looking around a group there's probably like probably about 25 or 30 of us who went through this experience together and i'm looking around the room and you know when people start like shifting side to side because they're really uncomfortable half the group was doing that and i'm like you know there was and then there was a space where there could have been seats and i just thought you know here's an opportunity where you could have just asked an accessibility question in the intake for the registration sign up form and brought in like a couple of benches. Like it would not have been a big deal, but it's that I'm just totally disregarded. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Those people haven't been asked to like think about a variety of ethics you know, um, experiences. That's what I've enjoyed about speaking with the interior designers is they're like, trained to kind of put themselves in other people's shoes and what they haven't been trained to do is specifically put themselves in plus size people's shoes so as soon as you like say now think about this you know it like they know what to do oh that's so good and you're referring to 
you're referring to a big talk that you gave at a conference. And it was, how many people were you, how many interior designers were you in front of? Ooh, there were probably 300 or so um, there. They were all um, from the Portland, Oregon chapter. Um, And yeah, it was, you know, it was really great. I got to speak with a couple of other people who are um, uh, responsible for designing for diversity in other respects. So I actually on the panel with me was um, the project manager, the diversity project manager for the last redesign of the Portland airport. So we got to have lots of conversations about how he led that process to ensure that like the Portland airport was, you know, better for a wider variety of people after this, you know, millions of dollars were spent and it was great. It was really great, you know, and uh, I will say the Portland airport is much fat friendlier than it was prior to this renovation. And it's likely because he walked through the airport, you know, with people from all, you know, kind of ability levels and experiences and backgrounds and, um, you know, ask questions. Um, So, yeah, it's really that simple. Yeah. Um, But event planners, I think, are also trained to do this. They're trained to think about hospitality. They're trained to think about, like, the experience of the goer. So we just need to, like, get to event planners. We need to get to these people in mass and, like, say, all right, we'll now start considering, like, the needs of your plus-size guests. What does that do to your nonprofit banquet, right? Where how many chairs can you really fit around that table? How close together those tails going to be? You know? Yeah. Think about it. Yeah. So we need to get to event planners and interior designers and facilities managers and people who make these decisions. That's amazing. Because now it feels hopeful. Before it just feels like it's too big. It's overwhelming. No one cares about my body. Now it's like, oh no, Rebecca's talking to the right people. There can be yeah, systemic change. Talk to the people. Yeah, there are already people who are trying to do this right. You know, like we just need to talk to those people. And then the people who aren't interested in this, fuck them. You know, like that's really it. That's what I say. Like, all right, you don't want to hear from this community that I'm aggregating, like about their experience. Great. Great. That's fine. I'm here for people who want to like pass down wealth to their, their family in 50 years. So like, if you're not interested in that, okay. I don't have to talk to you either. Like I, I'm doing this for free, you know, like, and that's really the way it is. It's like, especially with restaurant owners, I'm like, who do you think is going to eat at your establishment? Two thirds of this country is plus size and we're getting bigger. Like, it's really up to you whether or not you want to listen to us or not. And like, oh, so good. Um, Rebecca, did you have to become like, like I imagine you, I don't know if I want to, I'll just ask the question and then you correct it. Um, did you have to become an expert on fat bodies and fat body movements? Like, because now, because you really are, you're being called on to be an expert advisor for people. So how, what have you had to do to figure out those pieces? Other than, of course, living in your body, but but bodies are different. And that's how I approach these conversations. Is it's, you know, like I am one person. I've talked to a lot of people. Like, you know, I've had hundreds of conversations about these issues with hundreds of different people whose bodies are different than mine. And I've like surveyed thousands, right? So like I have that data and I can speak with authority from that data. Um, but I also, um, just as a um, kind of, as a person on a personal level, like I'm not afraid of what I don't know. So like when I get into these situations that people ask me questions that I can't answer, I have no problem saying that's really interesting. I don't know here's how I would go about answering that question, you know, and like it ends up being, they end up being some of the best conversations I've had, you know, but I don't, I don't pretend to know everything about all the, you know, hundreds of millions of fat people that have existed throughout history. It's not reasonable. (laughs) Although you did write a book about body image. Do you want to talk about your kid's book that you wrote? So cool. Yeah. 
So um, I mentioned before, Algo was in an accelerator, um, uh, the name of it's Portland um, Incubator Experiment. And so I was in this startup accelerator with a couple of other um, startups, including a kids co, uh, which is uh, the project of a friend of mine, Jelani Memory. Um, he's a dad of six children who um, are of many different colors. Uh, he's in a blended family. And um, he himself is uh, half black, half white. And when Donald Trump got elected, his kids were asking him lots of fucking questions that he couldn't answer. And so he decided to write a book. Um, and he, because he's a weirdo, um, published this book, <laughs> um, one copy of it. And it, he called it a kid's book about racism and he sh read it to his kids and then his kids' friends like, you know, saw it and then his kids' friends' parents asked for a copy and, you know, made, wave a magic wand and here's a company. Um, <laughs> you know, that's how it works, right? Um, so he has a huge media company now that is trying to help kids and grown-ups have conversations about difficult things. And the whole premise of his company is that kids are ready for these conversations. It's the grownups, we don't know how to have them. Um, and so when he approached me about writing a book about body image, you know, it was with that in mind. I was like, okay, all right. You know, like the book that I would write about body image is gonna talk about business and is gonna talk about like capitalism and is gonna talk about feelings. And he's like, that's exactly what I want. Kids are ready for these conversations. So like, let's do it. And, um, you know, like that's, that's the book that I ended up writing. You know, I like tried to address things like I help kids and parents interrogate that question of like, why do I have these weird feelings about my body? Why am I worried that my arms are too skinny? Why am I worried, you know, that I have a pimple on my nose? Like, you know, and I point out, I was like, it's because people are trying to like sell you things to fix those non-problems, you know? And I just put it out there for kids in this book. And um, it's been really great. Like people, kids are ready for these conversations and parents are grateful to, you know, have something to just say, hey, wear the snow pants. Like I got a, I got a message from one woman whose six-year-old daughter wouldn't go skiing because she didn't want to wear snow pants because they made her look too fat. She was already bigger than her friends and getting in snow pants made her look too fat. She's six years old and she's not going to ski. Like, <clears throat> you know, when we think about this from, um, you know, and like, society level perspective like the people who are concerned about like public health right this is the worst case example right so this is how we end up with like you know massive health disparities in this country based on body size like it's not all just like what we're eating and how we're moving it's also that we opt out of situations that could be fun and like engaging and physical mind you like because we're like made to feel ashamed you know and we've got to fucking break that down like and it's interesting i i rarely bring this up on purpose <laughs> sometimes i do um I talk, you know, Algo is a health promotion company. We are here to end social isolation. And like, you can't tell me that like, there isn't a huge positive health benefit to ending social isolation. And that's like, so you want to help people like get healthier? You can fund this organization, right? Like, this is what we're doing. I'm not like, it's not our be all ends all. You know, it's not like why we exist. I'm not talking about it to like increase people's health, but I know that the isolation that comes from not going places because you're literally worried that you're literally not going to fit. Like that is not good for us. You know, it's not good. No, that's so true. I hadn't thought about that point, but you're so right. Yeah. Like if, yeah, mental health, emotional health, even just, yeah, like getting out of the house. Ah, oh, wow. That's huge. That's huge. I feel the truth of that. Like even for myself. 
it's like a little bit of a gotcha to like, you know, assholes who like want to talk about health as like this moral imperative, but it's also true. You know, it's like we we're social creatures and like leaving our caves is, you know, good for us. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. No matter how cozy our caves are. (laughs) Um, Rebecca, I wanted, I was, I was going to say, well, and you have animals around. I feel like this ties in with my next question, which is about joy. So this idea of staying connected to joy, choosing joy, turning towards joy, like how do you stay joyful? Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) so part of my work, um, on myself as, you know, a kind of solopreneur has been to like figure out joy and figure out what like, um, takes a lot of my energy and what fills up my energy, you know, and like, what doesn't take very much energy. And what I have found is cooking like takes energy, but it brings me a tremendous amount of joy, especially when I cook for other people. So, um, also dogs bring me lots of joy. Um, you know, just seeing their faces and hearing them snuggle on, like, I just love dogs. Um, and this life that I have now, so I live on, um, 80 acres in Vernonia, Oregon, and literally between me and like the coast is just like forest. I mean, it's just, it's wild and beautiful and wild you know there's so much nature everywhere and um being on you know a farm and out in the world has like helped me move my body with joy too you know like the um, i get a ton of joy from chasing cows around a field like you know nobody's really concerned about how I look when I'm doing that, you know, and like, I'm, I'm not worried about breathing hard or sweating yet. Like both of those things are happening, you know, like when you go for a hike by yourself in the woods, like you don't have to worry about assholes in the gym. Like, you know, um, the, um, yeah, I found, I found ways that, um, to, to bring joy, particularly around exercising that that was very difficult for me. Like I, um, kind of developed a really like punitive relationship with exercise and as an adolescent. And so, um, it took, it was the only thing that would bring me joy was, was games and competition. Like, um, uh, I could play some like intramural sports and have a good time, but going to like, you know, for a hike was not enjoyable to me because I was so concerned about my performance, you know, and that just was not fun. So I've kind of figured out how to, the farm life has helped me figure out how to move my body with joy. Uh, I really like moving heavy things. Like any chance I get to lift something like really big. Yeah. So badass. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) And there's no shortage of that at the farm. Um, yeah, uh, joy, joy is great. Um, and life is, you know, happening right now. Like, I don't know if people know that. I think that's one of the things that I like definitely, um, had to learn. I think as a fat kid, I always imagined, you know, what my life would be like when I wasn't fat anymore. Right. And so I kind of didn't do things because I I wasn't going to do that until I wasn't fat anymore. Right. You know, and I've let go of all of that. Right. And it's like, this is just, this is my life. This is my body. You've got, you know, if you're lucky, you know, a few more decades left, like, what do you want to do with them? Um, and I'm very privileged in that I don't have children. Like I get to decide what to do with my day. I somehow have figured out how to make enough money to live this Renaissance kind of lifestyle. Um, but, um, yeah, it's been, um, 
it's been really fun to realize that I get to decide what I want to do every day. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's my ultimate version of joy is total freedom. Right. <laughs> like, what? like yeah. actually, what do you want to do? Yeah, I can follow my desire. I can follow. Yeah, it feels so good. Oh, Rebecca, amazing. This has been so, so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much. And I'll include, of course, all the links. Um, we'll get everyone signed up for Algo when it launched. I think by the time this episode airs, it will have launched. So we'll be directing people there to sign up. Go to algoapp.com. That's not a link you have. The new, like you're hearing it here first. It's a new URL that's coming your way. Algoapp.com. Sign up for an account. And review your doctor, review your favorite coffee shop, review all the theaters in your town, review like the last place Lizzo played near you, review every big venue you can think of right now, and then review the next one you go to. Let other people know what it's like. Build up that resource of information in your community, and we will make sure that it stays relevant. That's like our promise is we're going to like keep those listings up to date. We're going to, you know, make sure that that um, new restaurant is there when you go to, you know, write a review. Like that's our job. We need you to put in the data. So um, this really doesn't work without you. So please go sign up an account and become a reviewer. Amazing. Ah, Rebecca, I'm so excited for where this is going to go. Thank you so much for talking to us about it. Yeah. Thanks, Sophia. My pleasure. Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is all about. Expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy, and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. It was such a great conversation with Rebecca um, all about building the app. And I just kept thinking about, gosh, the challenges and the perseverance and the constant learning and growing and asking for help and support that it takes to do what she is doing. And I'm just, I'm pretty in awe of her and her tenacity and very excited to see what happens with the Algo app. So in that vein, the poem that I'm going to share is called Yes, and it's by William Stafford. It could happen anytime, tornado, earthquake, Armageddon. It could happen. Or sunshine, love, salvation. It could, you know. That's why we wake and look out. No guarantees in this life, but some bonuses like morning, like right now, like noon, like evening. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life, on YouTube at youtube.com slash at fatjoy, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash fatjoy. Please do check out the show notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my best wishes for an abundantly fat joy day, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye-bye.